Drowning on dry land. The first episode, parts one, two, and three. Part one, the four o'clock train. It's 4 a.m. and beyond my window, a train passes, blowing lonesome blues to a sleeping city. On this, as on other nights, the horns play slow and gentle riffs in time with the loping of the steel wheels. But now and then, in the midst of these lullabies, phantoms come creeping. It's cool, I can keep them at bay, though there was a time when this wasn't so. Indeed, I did not know that the demons were so close until they emerged from the tangle of my neurons to drag me away. My name is David Fulmer. I'm an author, and three years ago I fell prey to mental illness in a sudden, steep, and violent plummet. I reeled into a nightmare and then back out again, and now puzzle over reconciling the lunatic who was trapped in a funhouse of insanity with the rather ordinary fellow I'll greet in the mirror come morning. I lost my mind. Then I reclaimed it. And what follows is that story. Part two, life could be a dream, kaboom, kaboom. These are the basics. In 2019, without history or warning, I suffered a breakdown that sent me headfirst into a pool of psychosis, hitting bottom and then floating back up to a semblance of my former life. The curse did not appear like some flower of evil in full bloom, oozing poison. I was not bitten by a snake, nor did I lick a frog. Things got rocky, then wildly off kilter, and then boom, brain went bluey. I do not ascribe what happened to tripping over that infamous line between creativity and its evil twin madness. I'm not a genius, mad or otherwise. The edges come with the craft, those rare rushes amid the workaday grind, the transcendent moments that are the reward for all the tedious labor. I've often wished for more. Not too many, just more. I haven't in fact been able to put a finger on the origins of my collapse. It could have had its genesis decades ago, perhaps even somewhere in my own primordial darkness. An ancient fault line that finally broke open. Who understands these things? There's no simple causation, no A leading to B. What I do know is that I experienced a total stop, drop, and roll, four-alarm crack-up that propelled me first into the clutches of the police and then our friendly local psych ward. Dramatic doesn't even begin to describe what I went through. It was devastating and terrifying and heartbreaking and hilarious. Along the way, I pulled the veil from a few mysteries on a hero's journey without a hero just a regular guy plunging into a bizarre escapade. The worst of it lasted three weeks. Not much, you say? Try it sometime. Actually, don't. 
because many who stumble into mental illness fail to climb back out intact. I was lucky. I did. My wife Sansony and my daughter Italia were eyewitnesses, and you'll hear from Italia later. My sister knew what happened, and a few friends learned some of the details, but mostly I was alone and adrift in the depths of my psychosis. It's not easy for me to narrate this. I'm of a generation that often deem mentally ill people, and especially men, as crippled or weak and subjects of disdain, pity, or amusement. On the playground, during high school, and in the military, it was shut up and get through it. And like so many others, my get through it too often meant self-medication by way of drink and drugs and the heady rush of chasing women, many of whom I left with emotional wounds. I put my misbehaviors aside when my daughter came along and managed to stay inside the lines, holding my breath for the 18 years it took to get her through her childhood and teens and launched into a promising future. All along, I was as steady as a rock for her and later for Sansony. They knew me as solid, steady, dependable. A family joke identified me as Mr. Fix-It and I wore t-shirts displaying those words. I didn't crack until I did. And when it went down, I played all the hits. Did I rant? Oh yes, like a true madman, putting my poor spouse and daughter through six kinds of hell. Did I babble like a loon? I rambled on as if I was sampling the Reader's Digest edition of Finnegan's Wake. Did I hallucinate? As wildly as I did from the best of the chemicals and cactus buttons and fungi spores I ingested back in the day. When it was over, my wife brought me home. I kept wandering, at first good and medicated, wearing shades even in the dead of night. Time moved, the weeks rolled by, and I made it most of the way back to the world, but still grappling with what I'd gone through. What I never thought would happen to me had occurred. I had lost my mind, not knowing if I would ever reclaim it, but I did. After more time passed, I felt vague urges to recount the tale, but could never quite get moving, even though it was with me every day. My wife was still shaken by what happened, and our retracing of the experience is to this day difficult, though we always end with gratitude that it's behind us, that we survived it, and that we're together. It was Italia who convinced me to write out the tale. Hearing it might help someone else, she said. And so, about a year ago, I began, and here it is. Now, as I return to the story, I listen to the lonely night trains and find myself casting an eye into the shadows, all too aware that my demons are still around, lying in wait. Well, they can bring it on. I'm ready. Part 3. There Was a Crooked Man I'm going to take a brief detour into my history. Now, this is not comfortable for someone who does not care much for being the center of attention, but now's the time for some background. 
I came out of a very small, as in population of 3,500 and change, Pennsylvania town at the point where the north and west branches of the Susquehanna meet. The borough, Northumberland, is so modest that I'm listed on Wikipedia as one of the half dozen notable natives. The town's true claim to fame is as the place where Joseph Priestley, who first identified oxygen as an element, came to spend the last decade of his life after being thrown out of England for his religious beliefs. His tiny Unitarian church still stands there. My maternal grandparents emigrated from Sicily with the early 20th century wave. My grandfather had worked in sulfur mines in the old country and dug coal here. My mother was the ninth of their ten children. My father was of English and German stock going back to the 1700s in the U.S. Fulmer is a village in Buckinghamshire in England. My childhood would have been Leave it to Beaver, Ozzy and Harriet, bucolic, except that it wasn't bucolic at all. The town was backwards. I was beset by my own collection of travails, the first of which was barely surviving my birth. But I did, right in the heart of the baby boom. As a portent of what was to come later, I was assailed through my childhood by a repeated nightmare of standing in the shadow of an enormous globe as black and dense as coal that tottered atop a pin, about to topple at any second and crush me. In the real world, my parents were middle-class Americans and my older sister and I fulfilled the two kids' requirement. I had a Norman Rockwell-worthy paper route rising in the dark Pennsylvania winters to lug inquirers and bulletins and patriots around town. I was a tough, fast little twerp and played football until an injury put me out of commission and opened the door to juvenile delinquency. I hit the rock and roll 60s in stride and was an artsy student, lousy at academics, into books and music, but still strong enough at athletics to reach the state finals and track. I came to love girls, cars, and guitars. Later, I did a quasi-forest gum thing, marching among the 400,000 at the moratorium to end the war in D.C., and marching at boot camp at Fort Jackson 18 months later. Moving along a twisting road over four decades from rural PA to big city Atlanta, where I now reside, I worked as a gas jockey, a newspaper reporter, an army photographer, a VW mechanic, a welder, a bartender in a music club, a carpenter, a cab driver, a freelance magazine writer, a video producer, and a motorsports media manager. Peppered along the way were more blue-collar jobs and some teaching gigs. I was never built for the corporate fishbowl, and my few forays into cubicle world were comic disasters. A daydreamer forever, I was enthralled by stories as a child and began as a writer in my teens, first at local newspapers, then at city magazines, and then with books and scripts. I was always working on something creative and was in my 40s when I finally became a published author. I've produced 12 novels, some of which have garnered major plaudits. Lucky 13 is in the work. I admit that I spent a good part of my adult life self-medicated with liquor and drugs and pursuing and capturing women, wrecking one relationship after another with my failures and dalliances. 
The only ones I did not abandon in pain were those who did it to me first. I did damage to loving people, and that's a shame I won't ever shed. So there were the girls and the drugs and the hobo life, wandering by thumb first across Europe and then to California and back. I let myself get drafted and went away. I was diverted from Vietnam to Germany, only to be brushed by violence that took the lives of three soldiers in my unit. I thought I was having fun with all the weird chemicals right up to the time I came close to an overdose on the banks of the Necker River. Through all my days, I fell regularly into carelessness that I now understand was a form of self-destruction. Like I wanted to see how far I could go and if anyone would come along to save me. And then I'd refuse the help, thinking I could do it all myself. I stumbled at one point into illicit business and was on my way to proving the dictum that I later drilled into my daughter's head that most criminals are stupid. I got a scare there, too, wised up and exited that world. While in Europe, I met and courted a beautiful German girl and later courted and then married a beautiful Australian. I foolishly lost both, but I'm glad to say that after years had passed, I was able to reconnect with them as true friends. I got a third chance that I really didn't deserve with Sansony and still can't believe my luck. Most importantly, I became the father of a daughter who had come along as a happy surprise when I was in my 40s. She saved me from what might have been a lonely life. There have been times here and there when I was a cowardly and dishonest man. On the other hand, I was a lousy liar who always got caught, and I managed to stand up when it mattered. I didn't want to be a soldier, but I went anyway. I did not sell my soul for a dollar, though I was never any good at tasks that were money makers anyway, so that's not exactly a sign of virtue. My daughter testifies that I did not fail as a father though I know I did in small ways, as all parents do. I always worked to be real, though I know I was on the eccentric side. Thanks to a family with an oral storytelling tradition and a lot of reading, I learned to weave a yarn, a skill akin to magic when done right, which is rarely, but the hint of opening transcendent doors kept me at it. So much for the resume. As that spring of 2019 arrived, things were settling into place. I believed I had shed most of my insecurities and had labored to overcome or at least manage my fears. But there were ominous rumbles just over the horizon.